thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father, we come again the week after Easter, still celebrating the fact that you are alive, that you are good, that you have loved us, singing your praises, reading your scripture. And now we come, Lord, to just, just spending a few moments just not feeding on, on the words of men, but on the words of God. That man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so I ask you right now, as I have this just exciting time to just tell your people about your goodness, tell your people about what you do and who you are, please help me to build upon the cornerstone of our, of our Savior, uh, to build upon the foundation with those things which will last. Lord, that you would, through me, a grumpy, often idolater myself, selfish and uh, impatient, all these things that you know who I am and you know where I'm at, but you would, despite my failures, just like with Abraham and Sarah, despite my failures, that you would use me for your glory, that you would help me to feed your sheep, that you would help me to tend your little lambs, that you would give us ears to hear the truth of scripture, that your spirit would fill and just empower us, all of us, just right now, that you would just freshly fall on your people, Lord, so that, that we are encouraged and that we are given strength and perseverance for the days ahead. And so I just look forward to what you're gonna do because you do it for your son's name and for his glory, I pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. All right. I wanna thank you guys for last week and your patience as we, it was a chaotic Sunday. Um, somehow, whether legally or not, I don't know, and I don't wanna know, filtered about 2,200 people through those doors. And so it was a chaotic Sunday. Uh, it was awesome. Um, if you got stuck in the rain at 11, I'm sorry, but that's just the judgment of God on you for sleeping in. Um, just can't say it any other way. So, so should have come? No, I'm just kidding. But um, so glad you guys, we were able to, it worked. It was awesome to be here. Just kind of a heads up um, for next Sunday, we're gonna be in Genesis 19. And um, it is a PG sermon, all right? It's the, the classic text on Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we're not gonna be graphic or anything, but if you have little ones, you know, elementary age, I would probably put them in class uh, next Sunday. That's your call. I mean, again, we're not, I'm just gonna deal with the text, not gonna be any craziness, but if you would rather be the one who introduces things to your children, which I suggest, you know, your second, third grader, I would have them in class. Middle schoolers, unless you middle school in a cave, this ain't gonna be a shocker, all right? So uh, they'll be all right. Again, we're not gonna be crazy, but just want to give you guys the heads up that's coming. You can read the text next week for yourself. It's just a heavier text, but we want to deal with it in an appropriate way. So that's coming next week. This week, Genesis 18. So if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, there's one in front of you. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament. You can just kind of go to the first few pages and we're in chapter 18. And a couple weeks ago, we, we started a, week, a series on the life of Abraham through the book of Genesis and we had to take off a couple weeks because of Easter and Palm Sunday, so we kind of left Abraham hanging, but we're coming back today. Um, and what we've seen is, here's a guy who is, he's, if you're a believer in Christ, he's, this is your story. His story is your story. Now, it's thousands of years old, but his story in many ways parallels ours. We see similarities, and he's our great, 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 great grandfather in the faith. 
And so we wanna learn from him and we wanna learn from his mistakes and his good things. And what we saw, again, just as a recap, because it's been some weeks and some of us don't remember. And so let me just kind of go back is this. In the very beginning, when, the, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God is telling them now you're going to die and there's all these repercussions, but there will be one, one day, the seed of a woman who will come and he will crush the head of Satan. There will be a redeemer that will one day come. And really the rest of the Old Testament kind of narrows down and highlights who that redeemer would be until it points to Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, the one that we celebrated, crucified and resurrected last week. But, but really Abraham is kind of the first step in identifying who that promised one would be. Where God comes to a moon worshiping dude from modern day Iraq who's 75 years old and says, I'm choosing you. And I'm gonna make you a great name and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you and then all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed because of you, right? All of them. You're gonna have many, many children, which is a problem because he's 75 and even though his name means exalted father, he had no kids. He's got a dog, a couple cats, right? That's all he got. So, so big problems for Abram. But he believes God, he trusts God, and he heads off to a land where he's never seen. And we've seen his ups and downs, right, over the last couple of weeks. We saw he made a pretty big mistake by letting his wife get taken into the harem of Pharaoh. That's a big mistake, right? We saw that he, his wife came to him and said, I think you should marry my handmaiden. And he said, yeah, that's a great idea. Not a great idea, All right? So we've seen some bonehead things, but we've seen some great faith too. We've seen him leave a place where he lived for 75 years. This is all he knew, but yet he steps out in faith. We've seen him go all William Wallace, rescuing his nephew Lot, who got taken by this, this foreign king. We've seen him tell the king of Sodom, I don't want anything to do with your money. I don't want anything to do with, with you because of the reputation that you have. We saw two, three weeks ago when God says, here's the sign of my covenant with you, circumcision, that he obeys God immediately and takes and takes that step of obedience. So we've seen good and bad and in his ups and downs. And where we see him today, here's what we find him doing. Nothing. Abraham is just living life. He's just doing what he's been doing for the last 75, 80 years, right? It has been 24 years of wandering. 24 years of just kind of here, Oaks of Mom right down here, just living life, waiting for God to answer or give this promise. Think about that, 24 years. That's a long time. Some of y'all are not even 24 years old. Think, 24 years, you know what that is? That's 1992. Where were you in 92? I remember I was. I was looking fly in my guest jeans, cuffed properly, of course. I was wearing a turtleneck, listening to Journey, I'm a Walkman. I was a senior in high school in 1992. Bill Clinton just became president in 1992. Johnny Carson was still leading the Tonight Show in 1992. All right? The Braves had lost like their fourth World Series in a row, 1992. It's, it's time, boys and girls. It's time. That's a, think about that. That is a long time ago. 24 years of just living life, right? 24 years of just wandering around, doing stuff. And, and what I love about this text today is we just find Abram and Sarah living life. 
Because that's where we're at, right? I mean, tomorrow, the grind, wake up, school lunches, uniforms, laundry, working for the man. Maybe you are the man. Going, got practice in the afternoon, piano lessons in the evening, class tomorrow night, go to the gym, cut the lawn, pay the bills, pay the car insurance, living life, right? The grind, that's where they're at. That's where we're at. And, and we see a text where God is going to come down again. And as I studied this week, just several things just jumped off the page about God. And, and what we wanted as a, as a church, as, and, and we tell you this and we kind of come back to it, we want to equip you to follow Jesus through communion the Bible. That's how we do it. But we want, you to, we want to equip you so that you are a follower of Christ when you leave here. And I think that these things that just kind of about God, they're, they're simple, y'all. They're, they're not real deep and I'm not going into deep theology and giving you all these cool words today. You want cool words? Go get a Webster's. I'm going to give you simple things so that when you leave here and you face the grind, you can have some perseverance. You can have some strength. When the laundry is up here and you're like, oh, I got to take to this and I got to go to pool or no, that you have strength to persevere as a follower of Christ. That's my goal for today. All right. And I got three things we're going to look at. I'm not telling you what they are yet because you won't listen. Uh, but let me just read just real briefly, our first couple of verses, and then we'll come back and talk about it, all right? Genesis 18. Again, Abram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, just living life. And the Lord appeared to him. That's Abram. Abraham, excuse me, I keep doing that. Got changed last week. It's hard to change. A Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw... Them he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after, you may, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So what's Abram doing, Abraham doing, and Sarah doing as we begin this chapter? They're just doing life, right? He's sitting in his tent door in the heat of the day. This is what he does every day. It's hot, it's noon, he's the boss, he gets in his little lawn chair, gets a little lemonade, and he relaxes because it's too hot to work. This is what he does every day. He probably had a morning where he was out checking with the shepherds, checking with the managers, checking with the servants, checking all these things. Now it's time for him to have a little lunch and a little rest. Lunchtime, midday siesta. And in the middle of the day, every other day, he just sits there, and this time he lifts his eyes and Moses, the author, wants to draw you in now. So he lifts his eyes and he looks and behold, boom, Moses drawing you in. See, three men were standing there in front of him. How they got there? I don't know. Did he just kind of beam down Scotty? I don't know. Did they just kind of appear? Did they walk around? We don't know, but they're just there. And when he sees them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bows himself to the earth. It's just like the, a handshake in that day. It's a sign of respect. 
And he says to them, oh, Lord, and this is not the word for God, Lord. This is the word for of respect, like sir. He said, oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. He shows hospitality, which was in that culture, a duty and an honor and a responsibility of, of anyone who there's visitors. So here's what, he, know, he knows he's got three visitors. Here's what we know because Moses is filling us in. We know who the three visitors are. We know that one of them is the Lord himself. Verse one, and the Lord appeared to him. Notice the all capital letters. That means it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Okay, so this is God himself coming to earth. And we know from chapter 19 that his two buddies are angels. So God and two angels come to Abraham. Does he know it? Probably not at this point. And they come and, and Abraham shows them hospitality and he, and he washes their feet. He says, let, let me wash your feet and, and you take some rest and I'll, and I'll bring you some bread and I'll refresh you and I'll feed you. He treats them like royalty. He feeds them like royalty. He goes to Sarah, get, get three says of fine flour. That's three gallons of flour. That's a big piece of bread for each guy. It's like bread, bread, bread. He goes off and he kills a cow. He makes a little veal parmesan. He brings some curds. I don't know what that is. It sounds kind of nasty, but it must be good. So he provides this great big meal. And then what does he do? He stands by the tree while they eat. Treats them like kings. Treats them like kings. And he's the bigwig. So what does this all have to do with anything? God has come down to visit his guy. And here's the big question. Why? Why would he do that? And if you, you know, kind of you study your theology and you go a little deeper, you read the commentaries, here's what you realize. God the Father is spirit who, who dwells in inapproachable light. No one has ever seen the Father. God the Holy Spirit is spirit. He's God, he's fully person, but he is spirit. This is what many theologians and commentaries would, would, would agree. This is a pre-incarnate, it's pre Jesus coming in Bethlehem. This is the second person of the Trinity who is eternal, who is the eternal son of God, visiting Abraham. This is Christ 2,000 years before he takes on humanity coming to his guy. And the question we have to ask is why? Why would he do that? He's got something to tell him. He can just tell him in a dream. He's done that before. He's, he wants to, he got something to say. Send Melchizedek, the prophet, the king. Send a, a somebody, give him a vision. Why does God himself come down and have a meal with this guy? Why would he do that? Here, here's what you gotta get, big scheme in scripture. There is something significant about having a meal in the Bible throughout the whole thing. It, it, it's a sign of, of closeness, of intimacy, of fellowship, Right? And so when Jesus is in his ministry, he tells Zacchaeus, what up, short man? I'm going to your house today. I have to have a meal with you. Right? He wants to hang with him. He wants to have fellowship with him. And the Pharisees despise Jesus. Why? Because he eats with sinners. He has fellowship with sinners. There's closeness with sinners. When Jesus, after the resurrection, he has a little fish fry there on the beach and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims in his clothes and comes up and Jesus says, come have a meal with me. Come eat with me. 
kind of closeness. The Lord's table is a, we call it what? Communion. It's a sign of fellowship and oneness and intimacy with Christ. The early church, they were meeting nightly in each other's houses, having meals together because there's a closeness. Jesus himself in Revelation 3 says this to the church, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will what? I will eat with him. He with me. This has nothing to do with salvation, by the way. This has everything to do with Jesus fellowshipping with his church. Even in the, in the end, when we have the, the marriage supper of the lamb, the picture is the church fellowshipping with the lamb forever. It's this idea of closeness, of intimacy. And what God is, is doing here is he's coming to be close to his man, Abram. And he's having a meal. And, and here's the first idea for us. It's super simple, but I think it's super profound for us, is that we have a God who desires to be close with his people. He's not some distant God that's all, well, I got, I'm busy running the universe and holding up its whole thing, so you guys just go and, and, and I'll deal with you all later. He wants to know you. He wants to know Abram. He wants to have a meal with his guy. And he is constantly knocking and saying, man, I just want to hang with you. I want to be with my people. It's not because he's lonely. It's not because he needs anything. He just loves his people. He wants to be with his people. And I, what I want us to do as a church is just, just let that soak in just a minute. That God, almighty God, creator God, would like to sit down and just hang with you. Could you do that? I mean, if your favorite athlete, William Kane. Well, who was your favorite athlete? Steph Curry, whatever. Your favorite movie star. Maybe you're like, ah, I like that Thor guy. Chris Helmsworth, Australian guy, right? You're, whoever it is, if that guy came into town, maybe you, maybe you were following the rock around last week. You're like, oh, I smell what the rock's cooking. I'm going down to Tybee. I want to hang with. If they called you up and said, hey, I'd like to have a meal with you. Let's go to Barnes. You'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to smell what the rock's cooking. I'm going with the rock. I'm going with, with Steph Curry. Almighty God wants to have a meal with his people. He wants to know you. He's saying, I want, I want you to tell me things. I want you to tell me what's on your heart. I already know him because I'm God, but I want you to tell me. I got some things for you. I'd like to tell you. I just, I'm knocking. I'm gonna come and have a meal. I mean, it's an amazing thing, church. When we think about that almighty God would want that, it, we should have the response of Zacchaeus, who's like, me? You wanna go to my house? No, you don't. No one wants to come to my house. But I think we just, yeah. God wants to have time with me. And it, it's meant to shock us. Do you, do you know him? And, and look, I know we're all busy. Everyone's busy. Everyone's got deadlines. Everyone's got laundry. Everyone's got taking kids to sports. We're all busy. No one's busier than moms. No one. Mom's got the hardest job. Mom's got the dishes, got the laundry. She's doing this. She's going to work. She's got kids to school. No one is as busy as the moms. But let me encourage you, moms. Your job is, is thankless. No one gives you props for it. And no, one, no one's gonna affirm you in it. 
like Jesus will. And so let me just encourage you, at some point in the week, get alone with him. He's gonna tell you how vital this is. No one else is. No one else is gonna tell you how important this is. Everyone else is gonna tell you, oh, you need to go out and do real important things. And, and Jesus is gonna say, no, no, this is the most important thing for you right now, caring for these and taking care of this. And I know no one notices it, but I notice it. And we got a bunch of Marthas around that wanna do, 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 do. Some of you, ladies, you need to be Marys. And you just need to sit at the feet of the Savior, go on a walk, talk to him, ride your bike, sit and just sit at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? If when your husband comes home, there's laundry on the couch, you know what you tell him? I was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he said it was okay for laundry to be on the couch. What's he gonna say? Tell him to call me if he's got a problem. I, it, what's more important, right? I'm not saying 16-hour quiet times. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying get alone with the Savior. Some of you young folks, young folks, middle school, high school, you know, young professionals, whatever it is, the world out there is going to tell you that your value is based on how you look, how skinny you are, how you dress, how you perform, what kind of this you do. It's, that's what it's going to tell you. And you'll never, ever meet their standard. You just won't because it's an impossible standard. But you have a creator who says, no, 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 you are fearfully, you are wonderfully made, right? Just how you are. I don't care what your Instagram looks like. I don't care what your Twitter, I don't care how many friends you got. I don't care what your grades are. And I, as your creator, just wanna, I wanna hang with you. I wanna be with you. Your parents, maybe their love is conditional. Maybe their love is based on how well you behave and how well your grades are. Mine is not. And I wanna be with you. That's your God. Mr. Business Guy, Mrs. Business Guy, you got the iPhone and your schedule. I got email. You got 15 minutes in there just to go on a walk and talk to God? I mean, you got an hour for Downton Abbey and the reruns and last week's episode just so I don't miss anything. You got an hour to go to the gym. And those are all good things. It's fine. But I, what, what I just want to be is a people who where don't live life and miss the point of life. We're so busy that we miss the point of life is knowing the Savior who has made himself known. And this is not the guilt. If you're, if you're, if, please hear my heart in this. This is not the please do a quiet time and try to guilt you into that. If that's what you're feeling, don't do it because guilt will get you three days in a row and that's it, I promise. This is not check a box, everyone read their Bible. I have been in churches where everyone reads their Bible and they're all jerks. So that's not what we want either. Here's what we want. Acts chapter four, Peter and John, they're getting grilled by the Pharisees and they, they say this about them. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And what we want is for you to leave your home in the morning and you go off to SCAD and you go off to Hunter Army Airfield and you go off to Armstrong and you go off to Savannah Arts or maybe you stay there. And when you run into people at the Publix, they recognize that you have been with Jesus. That's what we want. Okay, so we don't want a bunch of Bible scholars that are quoting the Greek and the Roman of Isaiah. We want people they spent the morning with their savior or the evening and, and people know it. So that's what we want. 
right? Not guilt. We're not talking about that. And, and when you do, when you just carve out, and I'm not, again, I, I'm a busy guy, four kids, you know, church, all these things. But when you just will sit there and, and I don't study, for, I'm not like opening the Greek, let me get my Greek out so that everyone at Starbucks sees me reading Greek. I just read and I take this little book out. And most of you couldn't even understand it because I can't half the time because the handwriting is so bad. I can't see anymore either because my eyes are so bad. But, and I'll write down stuff and most of it is just heartburn from spicy chicken at Barbaritos. But once in a while, I'll have read something and I'll just have a thought and I'll put it down and I'll be like, I think that was from God. I think I need to do that. I think I need to think about it. I had one of those times last week. I wrote this, I am... Not profound, and I don't think this is profound, but I just thought, I was praying about this church, and there's things that I love about this church, and there's things I see this church, and I'm like, I don't want to go there. I can start seeing that, and I don't want that, because I've been there, and it's miserable. We're nine years into this thing now, and now we're not a new little church anymore, there's no excuses. And here's just what I wrote. I just, I mean, again, it kind of rhymes, not rhymes, it has alliteration, which I am not. Mr. Alliteration, but I, I just wrote this. This was my fear for me and my fear for the church. I said, I wrote, I fear that the praise of the saints is being replaced by the complaints of the saints. I fear that the joy of the Lord is being replaced by bitterness. I fear that our faith is being replaced by skepticism. That prayer is being replaced by planning. That preference is replacing pursuit. That doesn't sound like me, which just means I know it wasn't me because it was way too long of words. But what happens when you just get alone sometimes with the Lord and you say, I'm, I'm a blank slate? I promise you, he will speak. I didn't hear any verbal, I didn't hear a, a, a audio, but I'm telling you, he will speak to his people who are listening. So I would just encourage you, go on a walk. Spend some time. Tell them your thoughts. Read a chapter. Your high school kid, I don't know where to start. Just read a, read a chapter of Matthew. Gospel, gospel of Matthew. Chapter a day, keep the devil away, you'll be good. Just spend some time with the God who says, will you, will you have a meal with me? We just wanna be a people that people say, uh, he's been with Jesus, right? It's, for the long haul, that's it. That's it, that's life. And here's just kind of a secondary application. And, and real briefly, it's not the point of the text, but it's, it's an important point, is hospitality is huge. Abram, Abraham is, the, is a big dude. He is the big wig. He is multi-billionaire. He is a corporation CEO head. And what does he do? He stands like a waiter by these three guys. How big is hospitality? If you ask a bunch of people in church, what's, a, uh, what's, what's characteristic of godliness? You need to probably have purity and studies the Bible and praise and blah, blah. Very few people would say hospitality, and that's a shame because hospitality is, is one of the most godlike characteristics we can display. We have a God who is hospitable. And when I'm talking about hospitality, I'm not talking about mad, bad macaroni and cheese once a month, third Sunday of the month. And that's what I'm not talking about. The hospitality literally just means the love of, of strangers, if, you, if you're only accessible by appointment, if, if, if you, are, you, know, you have a closed house, right, that's, that's the opposite of hospitality. And, and so I would encourage you, look, hospitality is never easy. It's never easy, okay, because you got people all over you. It's never cheap, 
Because you feed a bunch of teenagers and it's not cheap. You have a roots at your house. I mean, you got yard work for months and toilets clogged and you're finding food behind the couch. It's never easy. It's never cheap, but it is a characteristic of godliness because we have a God who is hospitable. And so just, hey, if you don't know your neighbors, if you never met them, I mean, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's not easy to have a barbecue at your house with a bunch of people you don't know, but that's, that's, what, that's what godliness looks like. So that's, that's an encouragement to you guys, whatever that looks like for each one of you. Maybe you're in an apartment, maybe you're whatever. Maybe your, kid, your, your, your teenager's friends need to come over to your house and you need to listen to them playing crazy music or Xbox, and that's, that's what we're talking about. Opening our lives, just that part of being the regular rhythm of life, it's, it's godliness. And, and we want a life that's characteristic of hospitableness. Right? So here's God coming to his man, wanting to have closeness, wanting to have fellowship, and, it's, and the text continues. And they finished, their, they finished their meal, and they said to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, this is where Abraham probably starts to realize something else is going on here, because up to this point, we don't have any indication that he told them her name. And her name, by the way, had just got changed from Sarai to Sarah, and the only person that knows that is God. And so you have three guys that show up. He hadn't even told his wife's name. They said, hey, where's Sarah, your wife? And what Abraham is probably thinking is, well, since you already know her name, you probably already know where she is. But I'm gonna tell you anyway, so I don't get in trouble. So this is where he realizes something's going on. He says, she is in the tent. She's in the tent. Look what God says. The Lord said, I will surely return to you. And it's emphatic in the Hebrew. It's, I am coming back next year, this time, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. All right? Now, Sarah, we get a picture now. She has got her glass up against the tent. And she's listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. How many times have we seen the text goes out of its way to tell us that Abraham and Sarah have one foot in the grave? They're old. All right, we get it. She's 89, he's 99, and the way of woman had ceased to be with her. All right, they're old. We get it. And so Sarah laughs to herself, and I love why. She says, after I'm worn out. All right? I think that's funny. A lady's, I'm worn out. And then she's thinking, and my, my man... Talk about worn out. He's 80, I'm 89, he's 99. All right, shall I, shall I have pleasure, shall I have a child with that old dude? No way. So she laughs inside to herself, thinking no one hears. But the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? And Abram's like, I don't know. I don't even know who she is, she's in the tent. Shall indeed, shall I indeed, saying, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? We'll come back to that. So at the appointed time, I return to you next year. You're, you're going to have a kid. You will have a son. And we are going to call him Yitzhak. He laughs. Because you laughed and she laughed and y'all think it's funny. So every time you call his name, when he's two and when he's six and when he's 12 and when he's 30 and when he's 60, you're going to remember you didn't believe me and you laughed. 
right? He's coming. Why? Because is anything too hard for the Lord? Literally the word for too hard. I don't like the translation of most English translations because the word literally means, and it's in the bottom of some of your Bibles, wonderful, marvelous, amazing. Is anything too amazing for God? You think it's hard for me to make a 90-year-old woman pregnant? It's not hard, right? It's, it's not too big for me. And, and here's, here's where the second point, second simple but yet profound point, and it's uber simple, y'all. It's this, is that we have a big God. We have a big, great powerful God. And it sounds so simple. It's not, that's a childlike little thing. It is kind of childlike, but you know what? We need a childlike faith. Yesterday, I'm in the car with my youngest two boys, and they're talking about digging to China. The older one says, you can't dig to China, can you, Dad? I said, no, son, you can't dig to China. And the youngest said, well, you can if you have Jesus. And I said, yes, I guess you can. <laughs> right? But it's that, what, what is it about that charming seven-year-old faith? He sees Jesus is all-powerful, so powerful that you can dig to China. Why is it that his parents don't? Why is it that we in the church yeah, we, t- we, we talk about God and his greatness and his bigness. As, and we, yeah, I believe it, but it's some abstract thing kind of out there. But when it comes to daily life, we say, well, God doesn't do those kind of things anymore. Right? See, what I think we need and why I think this is simple, profound, is for your daily just life, you need to remember daily that our God is still a big God. That he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, that he still does great things. That is he not the one who speaks of something in the future with more clarity than what you speak of, of something that just happened? Is that not him? Is this not the God who sees through the tent, sees through the heart of Sarah? Is this not the God who speaks and nothing becomes something? Isn't that the God? If, if he can do those things, can he handle a nine-year-old woman getting pregnant? Yeah, he can do that. And where that relates to us is this. If that is all true, if God is almighty, if he is all powerful, then, then we look around and the things that we face in your life, just regular grinding it out, what is too hard for God? I mean, really, you have that, that person you've been praying for for years, that frat boy, you know, we all have that person we know, and we say this, that person, there's never, that person will never become a Christian. No way. You know what? You know how many people in this church were that guy? Me. Reed. Oh, there's a bunch of y'all. The Apostle Paul, he was voted most likely to never be a Christian. He writes the Bible. Is there anything too difficult for God? 
Is there anything? You have children and you're praying and you got social media and you got dating and you got college and you're like, how do I do this? Is there anything too difficult for God? You have addiction and y'all, we have addiction all over. Gambling, alcohol, drugs, pornography. And some of you in the middle of that, you are, am I ever going to be free? And it feels like you won't. And you have to know, is there anything too difficult for God? I mean, you got a dysfunctional home. Your marriage, you felt like it's been over for years. Is anything too difficult for God? You're looking at the cost of education, the cost of this degree, the cost of sending these kids there, the cost of a house. Is anything too difficult for God? You're looking at a surgery. You're looking at cancer. You're looking at chronic arthritis. You're looking at a knee replacement. You're looking at all these things. Is anything too difficult for God? You have made decisions that have blown your life up. You're on your fourth marriage. You've stolen this. You just got out of prison. You did this. You got kicked out of your home. You've lied on this. You got all this mess that's just all raveled. Is there anything that is too difficult for God? That's what you have to know. And with a childlike faith, that's what you have to believe. And what I don't want to be as a church, that we talk about God as if he did things in the past, but he doesn't do anything in the future. Is it that God doesn't do anything anymore or that his church does not expect him to do things? That's the question. I think it's they don't expect. And so expect that God will work. And and what I'm not saying is this, please hear me. I'm not saying if you just believe God enough that he'll make everything good. I'm not promising that. Because God doesn't, right? You, You may have cancer and that cancer may be what takes you to be with Christ. But what I want you to see is if God does not move in the direction that you want him to, It doesn't make him less great. It just means he's of something greater. Why doesn't he give them a baby when Abraham is 75 and she's 65? You know why? It's way too early. Because if she has a baby at 65, people are gonna say, well, that's pretty pretty crazy. You know, but I've seen it before, but that's nuts. When she has it at 90, I mean, that's like, whoa, I've never seen that before. I mean, old girl, she can barely put the sling on in the morning and she's got a baby. That is a God thing. If, she, if he does it too early, he gets more glory when he does it when she's 90. And maybe God is waiting in some of your life or maybe he's just saying, well, not now because I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna get more glory. God delights to make himself known. God delights to show himself as great. And so here's the application for us, real simple. When God does, talk about it. Talk about what he's done. My kids, Friday, we got report cards, which is kind of a scary day for us. But this one was great. All honor rolls. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna declare that. I'm gonna go to grandparents and say, you give these kids money. I mean, I'm going to declare an excellence thing. When God does something great, his people ought to scream it. And the psalmist 
says, declare his marvelous works. So, and, and you know, and great things is not raising your dog from the dead or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God moves and does something and it is clear, speak of it. So you're praying for this hard meeting that you have on Thursday afternoon and you know it's gonna be hard and God comes through and it's great. Tell somebody. Hey, hey, dude, I, it, I, was, I was dreading this thing and God came through. Right? You, you had this, this prayer request that you've been praying and surgery. Surgery is great. Tell people. You've been, you've been praying for this job. Tell people, you've seen fruit in your kid's life. Honor roll. Look what God did. My kid made the team. My kid got into this school. My kid got this scholarship. That's a God thing. Declare it. You're not allowed to brag and be proud about anything except for God. In fact, that's the only thing in the Bible you're told, brag on it. Let him who boasts, boast in this. He knows and he understands me. I am the Lord. Right? You're allowed to boast in God. You're allowed to declare him. You're allowed to make him great. That's what, he, that's what he wants us to do. You got some story that God did something in your life? Email us. We'd love to hear about it. In fact, we'd love to put it on a video and let the whole church hear it because what happens is when this person over here sees this great answer to prayer and God did this, this person over here that you don't even know and they hear about it, they have courage and say, if God did that in that situation, he can do it in my life too. And it's how the church encourages one another with the greatness of God. So brag on God, talk of him, speak of him, right? It's the best thing we can do. So God comes to meet because he desires closeness. God is great. And one more thing real quick, and we'll close with this. All right. What does is, what is Abraham, I mean, what does Sarah do when she gets caught? She does what everybody always does. She denies it. Sarah said, ah, I didn't do that. When you're, when you're facing the omniscient, all-knowing, just don't lie. This is a bad, bad move. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. But here's the beauty of this. God's not mad. God's not slamming her. God's not shaming her. And, and the greatest, I think, for me, point to the rest of this, this whole sermon is this, is that God our God is not limited by your failures. And there's been a lot of them, right? There's been a lot of them. Does God know before he shows up that Sarah's gonna laugh? Yeah. Does God know that Abraham was gonna laugh? Yeah. Does God know that she's gonna have doubts? Yeah. And, she, and he still wants to come have a meal with her? And he still wants to come do this? That is the nature of our God. That, that our failures do not stop his desire to know us, that our failures do not keep him from doing great things, that our failures are, are ultimately a chance for us to grow. Why does God call her out and expose her sin? Because he wants to grow her. And maybe God is exposing you right now, and, and, and maybe not publicly to everybody, but maybe your spouse is saying this, and God is trying to show you this is where you are failing, and it's not because he wants to shame you, he wants to grow you. He wants you to turn from this sin and he wants to see fruit and he wants to draw you closer. That's what he does. He wants to, to, to show you his nature and his goodness and he's building Sarah. And so what does he do? He builds up Sarah and she, is, she grows from this. How do I know? Because when I get to Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive. Where'd that faith come from? It must've come after this because she didn't believe before. God calls her out on her sin, points her back to himself, and she believes and she makes the hall of fame of faith. 
And if you're here and maybe it's the first time you've been in church or maybe you had a week, maybe you've had a life and you think again, God would not want me. I promise you he does. I promise you that he wants to, he wants to hang out with you. He, he wants to do great things in your life and he's not limited by your bonehead mistakes. Thank the Lord because I am the chief. That's, that's where we just, that's living life, y'all. And, and what, what I want you to see is, again, this, we talk about this a lot. Live, don't wait for the big events of life. If you're waiting for the big, grandioso events, there's three or four of them in your life. Just live life daily, right? Live life daily. And in the context of that, that's when the three guys show up. He's not waiting for three guys to come. He's just living life, sitting in the tent with a God who wants to know us, with a God who is great, with a God who is not limited by our mistakes. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. And so let's worship him together as a church. Let's, let's worship him for being great. Let's worship him for the amazing and marvelous things he has done. Uh, let's pray. Why don't you guys stand? Father, we just wanna be a people as we leave, very simply, that people recognize of having been with Jesus. Certainly not perfect. Certainly not having it all together. Um, but a people who have been with Jesus. And so just as we worship, as we think about your greatness, as we think about your amazing things that you have done, just bring us to that. As each person has individual challenges and needs and they're just living life and some are in the grind and some are up and some are down, just meet us where we're at by your Holy Spirit and, and just help us to worship and then leave having been with your people and having met with Christ. Uh, it's in your name we pray.